So I feel like uh, an underrated skill that's important in the world today, uh, maybe it's always been important, but it feels very much important today, is the ability to know how to respond when people give you advice, right? Uh, because we live in a culture where there's a lot of platforms for people to offer a lot of advice on all kinds of different things, and uh, rarely is that advice, advice uh, confessional for people going, I need to improve in this. Usually the advice that's posted online is what someone else needs to be doing differently in their life, uh, or what you might need to be doing differently in your life. There's also, I've realized, periods of time when people feel more free to give you advice than other times, and usually that's if you're going through any sort of transition, right? Like when Beth and I were getting married, we had people coming out of the woodwork telling us how marriage should and shouldn't work. There was something about that like transitional time that people felt very free to give you advice, right? Uh, or if you uh, are, are pregnant at any point, uh, you're going to have a lot of people when it comes to parenting and anything else uh, who are going to have all kinds of advice. Our oldest ch child is going to be moving into high school next year. We're getting lots of advice on how to handle high school and how things are supposed to happen. And it's not that that's bad, right? You, but, but I think that's the skill is you got to learn how to take it in. And then there's some advice that you got to learn to listen to be like, okay, I want to listen to that. I want to hold on to that. And then there's other advice that you just release it, right? You just let it go. It's like, thank you for that. I release that to someone else somewhere in the universe that may need that advice. Uh, and I just think it's this underrated skill as to how it is that you take advice. But one piece of advice that has stuck with me uh, came from uh, a close friend and mentor that several of you, of you have heard me mention in the past, a, a, an individual named Steve Hayner, who uh, had a huge impact on my life. And one bit of advice that he used to say, and he kind of said it as this mantra, but it became a part of, of, of how I think about a lot of things, from ministry to just marriage and life in general, um, is he would look at me and he would say, Thomas, being busy and being productive are not necessarily the same thing. Being busy and being productive are not necessarily the same thing. It's important to know the difference. Sometimes less is more. Now, when he was giving me this advice, and especially when it was very constant in my life, was at a time of transition. Uh, as many of you know, I was, uh, the church I worked at before coming here to Covenant was a church in Atlanta. It was a church that we planted, meaning that we started the church and we started it in our home uh, with seven people, which is this really great, and I've shared this before, this really great kind of romantic idea that all these friends from seminary were like patting us on the back. It's like, that's awesome. Y'all go do that. And it's this like thing, like, yeah, we're going to go do this thing and it's going to be different and it's in our house and there's seven people and then you begin, and it's like, and what have we done? Like, if any of you have ever been involved with a startup, there's that, that abject fear that sets in on you, and you're just like, what in the world are we doing? Because you had, or at least in our case, we had this seed money that would kind of be a little bit of a runway for us to get starting, but it was like every day, it was like just like sand through an hourglass. That seed money's disappearing, and we have to become self-sufficient, and so there's just this absolute panic. And one of the things that I learned in that time, and I kind of knew this anyway, and I bet some of you are like this, but when I get anxious for needing things to happen, what I, my response to that is like, I need to do something, right? Like, I'm not one to just sit back and be like, let me think about what we're supposed to do here. It's like, 
Somehow being active is the answer to whatever is causing me anxiety right now. And so I just became this like kind of frantic person when we were starting this church. And I really annoyed the other seven people that were starting it with us because I, like what part of what I do is when I feel anxious, I'd start like, I'd contact one of them and be like, hey, do you want to grab lunch? And like, no, man, I had coffee with you two days ago. Like back off and just let me do my job for a little while. I will check in with you later. It's like, okay, I just want you to know I'm here. I'm just around. Like if you need anything, uh, we really care about our people and da 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 and, and, and what are we going to do about this? And, and I would just get anxious needing to produce something. And I think that that's why Steve uh, started meeting with me. He was one of those seven in, our, in our, our living room when we'd meet. And I think the other six basically went to him like, could you please like take the, like, take the edge off of him in some kind of way? Um, and Steve was a person who had worked in churches before he had given leadership to different organizations like InterVarsity and World Vision and International Justice Mission. And he was just a, a really wise person and a good friend. And so he started inviting me to his home once a week to meet and to talk. And we did this for years. Uh, and it was beautiful and it was great. But what would happen is, is my anxiousness, I would kind of come into the room. I'm like, all right. I got these ideas. It's been a week since we've been together. I've got like 17 different things. I got bullet points here, and this is what we're going to do. And I think this is a strategic plan. And this is what we're going to do on Sundays. And here's what's going to happen. And this is what I'm envisioning for this stuff. And what do you think about it, Steve? I got like all these ideas, and they're popping out of me. And we got to do something. And the money's running out. And what's going to happen? And he would just look at me, and he would say almost every week, Thomas, it's not necessarily the same thing to be busy and to be productive. It's important to know the difference. Sometimes less is more. I didn't always believe him or agree with him, but it was good for me to hear that. And I wonder if sitting here today in our world that sociologists tell us is becoming more frantic, more plugged in, more stressed out, we and our children and our grandchildren are experiencing more and more and more of that. How many of us, where we, as we talk about here at Covenant, where we live, work, and play, how many of us today would it be good to hear those words spoken to us? I know there's a lot going on. I know it's busy. There's a difference in being busy and being faithfully productive. It's important to know the difference. Sometimes less is more. Our scripture passage today we're going to be looking at, you realize that that's not just sort of like fortune cookie leadership book 101 advice. It's biblical. It's biblical for how we flourish. As we finish this teaching series today, as we've been looking at the birth of the church, this final passage we're going to look at in this series is really about the church in Acts chapter 6. It's starting to really expand, and it's, as it expands, it's becoming more and more complex of an organization. I invite you just to listen and to read along with these words of scripture. It says this. It says, now during those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task, while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. What they said pleased the whole community, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. 
They had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. The word of God continued to spread. The number of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask this day that you would be with us all. You would speak to us individually and collectively of your gospel, of your good news, and that we would have open minds and hearts to receive. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So if any of you have worked as business consultants, if that's what you do for your job, or if any of you have worked in organizations where maybe a consultant has come in, or maybe uh, the organization that you're working in has grown and become more complex and more complicated, your heart might be soaring a little bit when you read this, because they are able to do here, or the apostles are able to do, what many businesses in our day and age are not able to do, which is to realize that as their organization is growing and becoming more complex, the way that they lead has to change fundamentally if they are going to continue to be effective as leaders, right? Uh, besides being able to start a global movement like Christianity, these guys could have written a great New York Times bestseller on Leadership 101, right? They, like, they, they seem to have sort of, sort of intrinsic knowledge of systems and how they work. If you've ever kind of worked in a company where you've seen the opposite of this, you know very well. If you've been a part of an organization like this, you know very well what the opposite of this looks like. When systems become very inefficient, when people become bottlenecks in systems for uh, productivity happening, or as Jim Collins says, it's important for people to know where they're seated, that they're seated on the right place in the bus to do the task that they've been designed to do. That organizations flourish the more and more there's clarity around people having a sense of what they're doing. And it's like 2,000 years ago, the apostles are just leaning into that. As the organization is becoming more complex and more complicated, there's this sense of the apostles opening up and pivoting in order for the organization, the church, to continue to expand and to flourish. There's this whole different way of operating. Now you see that that's born out of tension, even that tension of where there's bottlenecks or where there's systems not working well. You can see this in the beginning of this passage. You can sort of feel the tension that's there, right? You can feel the tension in the apostles as they're like, you know, trying to figure out how do we make this happen? And we've got to feed the, the widows. We've got to feed the poor. But now the Hebrews and the Hellenists are arguing with each other because we're a church and somebody's got to be upset about something and, and fighting about something. And so now the Hellenists and the Hebrews, um, they're like battling it out and, uh, and we've got to like teach the word and we've got to pray and we've got all these things to do and it's becoming more and more frustrating for them because when there were just a few people they could do both of those things right they could pray they could teach the word and then they could uh, have time to serve the few people the widows and the the poor that had gathered around and what they were clear of is that both of those tasks were essential to what it meant to be church. You couldn't be the church and ignore the poor in your midst. In the same way, you couldn't be the church and not teach and proclaim the name of Jesus and the, this amazing grace in which we believe, in which we find hope and comfort. And so when there's just a few people at the early stages, it's clear the apostles are doing both. But as the ministry is growing and as the church is expanding, they are frustrated because they are trying to do all of this and it's not working very well. The Hellenists are upset with the Hebrews. It's mass chaos. Like all this kind of stuff is happening. And there is a level of frustration. 
In this wonderful way, what they do is they don't say, sit there and say, uh, well, we're going to do this and we're not going to serve tables or take care of the widows or take care of the poor. They're not saying that their job is more important, but what they do is they realize that they are called to a particular ministry. The apostles are now called to a particular ministry and that the ministry of teaching the word is what they're going to focus on and prayer is what they're going to focus on. But there's this whole other ministry that must take place and what they do is not micromanage it, not, not control it, not, not uh, uh, like a puppeteer, but they empower and they actually give away to these seven a whole new sense of ministry and leadership. They empower these folks to go and to use their gifts to now serve the poor. It's this whole organizational shift that takes place in the church, and it's a pretty amazing thing that they're able to see and do it. Again, many businesses cannot figure this out. Many churches cannot figure this out. Some of us know, and again, are in systems where we see this happening. Now, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, do the apostles just have this amazing sense of like leadership 101 and how it works and kind of systems theory and everything else and, and here's how you do adaptive change and here's how, have they, do they have like a, a, a consultant? Do they have a Steve Hayner? who's kind of in their ear going, hey, listen, I know you're busy, but there's a difference in being busy and being productive. Sometimes less is more. What's clear is, is that at the beginning of chapter 6, they are frantically busy. And at the last verse that they just read, they are less busy, but more productive. Their lives are calmer at the end of what we read and more organized, but more productive. Sometimes less is more. And they also empowered a whole other group to act. Is it that they understand kind of these systems? Or maybe what it is, is that they understand that systems are made up of individuals. Businesses, churches, anyone else, and that individuals are meant to function in a certain way where we are wired and gifted for certain tasks, for certain reasons, that God has a particular call on our life to do, not everything, but certain. That, In other words, there's nothing biblical about being a jack-of-all-trades. The scriptures, in fact, say the opposite. They say that you, you are uniquely and wonderfully made. You are uniquely and wonderfully made, meaning what the person to your left and right is passionate about and gifted in, you probably aren't and you're not meant to be. And when we understand that that's how God wires us, start changing a sense of what it means to live out as faithful followers individually. What's really interesting is I think they had this insight through the Spirit, and we are still struggling to understand in our world today. I was just reading about a study that came out of Stanford University recently, and in this study, uh, researchers at Stanford went around and they asked people, what is it in our modern society that we need to get better at? What skills are becoming more important today than they were 10, 15, 20 years ago, and how do we kind of organize how people do this well, and how can we help? And what they heard from people when they asked what skills are becoming more important is people saying, we need help in learning how to multitask better in this world. Our world is changing and we've got to do more. Our smartphones keep us plugged in all the time. There are many families where it's two working parents and, and we're trying to figure stuff out and we're trying to balance everything and it's like, you've got your work deadlines and I got mine and who's arranging summer camp for the kids and the grandparents want to have them for grandparents camp and that sounds wonderful, but are you buying the tickets or am I buying the tickets and who's finding the calendars and have we had our calendar meetings? I mean, marriage becomes like running a small business in a lot of ways, right? And we're just sort of like kind of doing this stuff and then we've got uh, our text messages coming in and are they work text messages, are they home? 
home text messages, they have family text messages, we have different beeps that alert us to different things, and uh, some of us have cell phones for work and cell phones for home, because that makes life more simple, right? It's like, which phone's going off at which moment? And while I'm trying to get these deadlines done and write this paper and have this project and organize for this meeting, my kid's sick, and who's staying home from home, and everything else, and stuff's coming at us all the time. And they were like, you got to help us learn how to multitask better. We've got to figure out how it is for us to flourish. We do this. This is We can never get away in our culture right now. There's always something contact. Someone contact me about something. So Stanford said, all right, we're going to get into it. And they started looking at people who they multitask and who do that. And, who, and they started looking at how it works. And you know what Stanford found in all of their work on multitasking, all of their research on it they've just produced? We have studied this problem, and here's the results. Multitasking is not possible. It's not possible. Our brains are not wired to function in this way, and that people who believe they've become good at multitasking are simply deceiving themselves. Because what we do is, is that we kind of have these different phones and our messages going off and I'm going to write this. But I don't know if y'all's email is like this, but ours is like this at Covenant. You're writing an email and then someone, first off, the problem is people keep replying to your emails. You're like, just stop replying. I, I don't have time to do this. But as you're like hit as sin and like while you're writing one, the, the, when a new email comes in, like a little window comes up showing you, it's, it's horrible. It's like, the person is from in the first sentence. And then you're like, wait a minute, what are you angry at me about? I want to like go and read that. Or, or what, what's going on here? What are you excited about? Oh my gosh, prayer request answer. Like, what does that mean? And then you're like typing on that window and then your cell phone's ringing and your kids are sick and, and you're like, okay, well, I got to get back and I'm doing this and getting it all done. What Stanford found is what that means is even when you're used to it, that study after study after study showed that you are not doing any of the individual tasks as well as efficiently or as productively as you think you are. What they did is then they went and asked people to work differently, even though they were frustrated because they said it made them too slow. They said, what we want you to do is get, you've got this email. You know there's more coming in, but just write and finish this email. And when you send it, move on to the text message from your spouse asking you what, who's cooking dinner tonight. Answer that before you look at anything else. Then move to them. People are like, this is too slow. And like, just do it. And what they found over and over again is even though the great multitaskers said they didn't like it, they were consistently better more productive, remembered what they had read, and were more efficient in their work than when they were multitasking. There's a difference in being busy and being productive. Sometimes less is more. I think the disciples through the Spirit had an understanding of how human beings flourish. And what Stanford showed is that when we are trying to live this constantly plugged in and see if this sounds familiar, because it does to me, constantly plugged in multitasking life, it leads to certain results. We are busy, we are stressed, we feel tired a lot of the time, our minds are constantly swimming with what to do next, and we don't feel like we're doing any of the tasks very well. And that's what we're then modeling for our children, because how great will it be when they do this even more? because that's flourishing, right? The apostles had a totally different way of looking at this. 
What they said is, is that we are called to this certain task. That doesn't mean feeding the widows are unimportant, but what it means is we need to empower the people whose unique calling is that to go and do that so we can do this. And it says the church flourished as it went. Think about what this might mean in your own life. We think about that here at Covenant. This is the ministry where we read the diaconate starting, the deacons. The deacons ministry is such an important ministry here at Covenant. This is where it begins. This is the origins of, of the diaconate in the scripture. Men and women who are called to serve and to love because that is an essential part of being and leading a church. And the deacons at a church the size of Covenant are the front lines of caring for this community. Because even when our associate pastor for congregational care is not on a three-month sabbatical, the full pastoral staff cannot be aware of everything going on in everyone's life. We just simply can't do it. If we tried, we would run ourselves ragged trying to, and we still would only know the tip of the iceberg of what's going on. But the deacons are the ones who are assigned to be caring and looking out for and praying and checking in and letting us know how we can be praying for you. It's an essential ministry of this church. Think about how we function this way as a staff. I mean, you might be relieved if this actually happened, but like, for instance, this week we had 30 high schoolers who just left yesterday to go on their annual summer mission trip to Denver. So they're up there right now, and we want to be praying for them. But, but if I had spent this entire week sitting down with the high school team and making sure every detail of it was there and then going through and meeting all the families and praying with them and everything, I mean, that might have been nice. And I had walked in here today and been like, guys, I've had this amazing week getting ready for Denver. I didn't prepare a sermon. There's nothing for us to talk about. I don't even know what the scripture is. But man, the high schooler is going to have a great time. Covenant doesn't benefit by that. And, there's, and again, that's not just like leadership philosophy. Although it is good leadership philosophy, we don't want to do that because it's not biblical. It, it's a complete repudiation of Acts chapter 6. Scriptures say that you are uniquely and wonderfully made. One of, the, one of the great things for me in marriage is realizing that my wife is better at some things than I am and to try to stop helping her. She handles the finances of our house. I don't because if I did, I would be stressed all the time. Our house would be repossessed by the bank and we'd have a terrible credit score because I just don't operate that way. And therefore, I've learned it's better for me to be like, hey, do you want me to take care of like this or that? It's like, no, you are better at this. You understand more in this. Beth just like breathes organization out all the time. And so she just does this. But as our teenager is about to learn to start driving, we're also really clear that's going to probably be more what I do. I don't know if I'll do it well, but for a whole lot of different reasons, it's probably healthier for me to step into that place and hurt. Not for us to sit there and go, let's just share it together. Let's make certain it's all equal all the time. But it's about standing towards our core competencies, our unique gifting to understand how you and I are uniquely and wonderfully made. So we close, what I'd like you to do as I want you to take that phrase that we say here at Covenant, our vision statement of encouraging one another to follow Jesus wherever we live, work, and play. And what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to think about either the week that you've just been living or the week coming up and what's going on in those areas of your life. And ask yourself, how busy are you versus how productive are you? To ask yourselves, are you leaning towards your gifts and your core competencies? Are you leading to the things where you see fruit in your life? Or how much time and stress are you putting into the things that are not what you're meant to do? And what would it mean to begin 
delegating that and moving in a healthier pattern, a healthier direction? What would it mean to begin a conversation in your family or in your workplace about how things could be organized differently? There's too many times that we just sit there and go, I just don't think that's possible. But what if it is possible? If we're just willing to take a step in this direction and to lean towards what our giftings are like. So I want you to think a little bit about those areas. I'm gonna gonna, um, say a prayer and then just give us a time of uh, silence and then uh, we'll move into communion as we finish, okay? So let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks that we are a people who are uniquely and wonderfully made, that you are not a God of mass production. You are not an assembly line God, but that you form us in wonderful ways, that you have knit us together with certain gifts, with certain passions, with certain abilities, with certain uh, ideas, with certain dreams, and that your calling, as we see here with the apostles, is to move towards our uniqueness, to move towards our call. The idea in so many times of needing to be balanced and well-rounded may not actually be what you've called us to individually or even communally. Help us this day to have ideas about patterns and healthier patterns of how you created us to uniquely live. We pray that as we think about where we live just now, our homes, how faithful are we being versus how busy are we being we think about where we work, what conversations could we have, what doors might be able to be open just to take a step in new patterns and healthier patterns, and where we play as well. We ask, Lord, that we would see the biblical teaching of how you've designed us and how you've designed us to live together. We pray for your leading and your guiding. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.